I want to invite Grayson Black up here uh, with me today. He's going to preach. Can we welcome him up here today heartily? Man, I love this man a ton, and I am so thankful for him and so proud of the way God has continued to grow him and using you around here. Bring us the word. It's going to be good. Let's go. All right, here we go. Good morning, Real Life. How's everyone doing? Hey, love it. So thankful to be here with you today. We have been in a series that I've been coming to Real Life for a long time now, and so many sermon series have come and gone, and so many powerful things God's done. But for me, this is probably one of the most important sermon series we'll ever preach here at Real Life. And it's because it's about the presence of God. What distinguishes us from anyone else? What makes us different? It's actually the fact that our God loved us and came to live with us, inside of us, to engage with us in a very relational way. God's presence is everything. If his presence isn't here, we're just playing church. We're just showing up to an event on a very cold day and and hoping to huddle together for warmth, right? God's presence changes everything. And for me, it's such a a big distinguisher. I look at other religions around the world, and I look at the way that they operate and function, and you never quite know what God thinks or how things are going to go. You're never sure where you stand. I love that Scripture teaches that our God came down. He came off his throne. He saw us distant and separated from him, and he pursued us. See, the difference is we have the presence of God readily accessible to us in his Holy Spirit who lives inside of our hearts. For me, that's a game changer. Everything about reality is shaped around that. So for us as a people, we can just be another organization, nonprofit in in Spokane that's trying to make a difference, or the presence of the Almighty God could be working and moving and living through us to really and truly impact the world for Jesus. That's why the series is so powerful and important for me. Uh, Richie talked about fasting last week. How do we seek God through denial, through self-control, through saying no to what we need, to say yes to the one that we need the most? This week, we're going to talk about prayer. And as soon as I say that, I know we have mixed reactions across the auditorium here. Some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this. Let's, Let's do this. Let's talk about this. Some of you are feeling inadequate. Some of you are feeling like you wish you'd slept in today, right? Like prayer, it's just this really challenging thing for so many of us. And for some of us, it is something. I I can tell you for me, it always was difficult until uh, a few years ago. Uh, It was always this weird thing, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. And I want to show you an image on a screen that maybe explains some of my challenge and dilemma. So this is the atheist. This is a great way to start a sermon, right? Atheist, right? The atheist's prayer paradox. And it's basically an argument against prayer that atheists make. So at the beginning, the idea is you pray for something, okay? And what happens is going to depend on God, really. So I I pray for something, and the question is, is this actually part of God's will and his plan or not? Well, if it is, God's going to do it anyway, right? So what's the whole point of praying? It's redundant. God was already going to do that. I'm not convincing him to do what he's already intending to do. If God doesn't have that as part of his plan, well, he's not going to do it anyway. So why would I pray about it? Why even bother praying, right? In the end, prayer becomes meaningless, okay? For some of you, this makes you really nervous as you're reading this, like, oh my goodness, is that true about prayer? The good news is it's not, okay? This is not the truth. 
But I can tell you, I used to kind of feel that way about God's will. Either he's going to do it or he's not, and I'm, I'm not really going to twist God's arm to do something, right? Here's the challenge with this. Uh, this is called the prayer paradox, but really I think of it as the prayer parody. This is not what prayer is actually about. Because this assumes a couple things. Number one, that prayer is all about me asking God for stuff, which that's a very small part of what prayer is about, okay? And number two, it assumes that my goal in prayer is to take God's will and bend it to fit my own plan and my own will. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what we often think about with prayer. Man, if I just say the right words or I ask enough or something like that, God will finally do what I want him to do. We might not come out and say it that boldly, but a lot of times that's really what's in our hearts and what's, what's moving us. Fortunately, there is a better way. There's more to prayer than just this, and we're going to explore that today, but I, I want you to wrestle with that tension a little bit. Is the atheist prayer paradox or false? Jesus is going to teach us that it's actually not the way it was intended to be. So if you would turn in your Bibles or your Bible app with me to Matthew chapter 6, that's toward the end of your Bible there. You can find it in your table of contents or, or from a neighbor. Matthew chapter 6, while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. God, I'm so thankful we can just have a conversation with you. It's mind-blowing that the God who created the universe has enough time and capacity to hear me talk. And all of us at the same time, somehow you can juggle all of that, balance all of that, and it gives you so much joy and delight to have a conversation with your kids. God, we want to become people who are passionate about prayer. So this morning we ask that block holds, uh, that strongholds would be broken, that blockades would be run down, that we would become a people who's passionate and knows how to pray. So Lord, we ask that you would go ahead of us, that you would open our hearts and our minds and speak powerfully to us through your word. We love you, God. We give you this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, all right. In Matthew chapter 6, Richie read a little bit from it last week about fasting. But right before the fasting section, Jesus is going to talk about prayer. So starting in verse 5, Jesus says this. When you pray, just like last week, when, not if, right? When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Yeah, this word hypocrite, we often think of this word meaning they say one thing, they do another. The actual word there is just the common word for actor. It's not someone who says something and does something different. No, they're doing it, but what they're showing outside is not the reality inside. It's not where their heart actually is at. A hypocrite is an actor. It says if, if you're going to pray like an actor where you're standing up and you're doing it for show and you want people to say, oh man, what a super spiritual guy. I can never attain to his level of holiness, right? It says, you've received your whole reward right there. If that's all you, you're looking for, that's all you're going to get. That's not what prayer is about, making a show. He continues on and says this, but when you pray, go into your room. Some of your Bibles will say closet. That's, that's a, a better translation even. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus starts off with some do nots. Like, don't do this for show, and then don't think that just saying the same thing over and over again and using a ton of words, that somehow you're going to coerce God into changing his mind about what he's going to do. Right? Don't, don't do that. When he says pagans, 
He's referring to those who are in the Greco-Roman God worship kind of cult where they're worshiping a variety of gods, and that's what they would do. We keep praying and keep throwing words out there and hope that something sticks, right? It's like, you don't have to do that. This is your father you're talking to. Your father wants, wants to take care of his kids. So Jesus is going to show us a prayer, and he's going to say this is how you pray, not what you pray. You can pray this prayer. Many of you know it as the Lord's Prayer. You can pray it, absolutely, but he's really trying to show us a model of what it looks like to pray differently in a meaningful, impactful way. So we're going to take this line by line. So he says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. And number one, did you know that prayer is a deeply relational thing? It's communication between you and God. It's also deep connection and communion where you're, you are seeking him and he is speaking back to you. It's intended to be relational. It's, this is your dad that you're talking to. This isn't some weird, distant deity that you're really not sure about. This is the God who came and died for you because he loves you that much. This is our father. You're talking to your dad. But our father's also in heaven, okay? He's also pretty big and pretty powerful and maybe even a little bit scary sometimes, right? I think about this when I was a kid. Uh, little kid, I have two younger brothers, and you know, I'm, I'm eight, and my brothers are six and four, and my dad would get down on the floor and he'd wrestle with us, right? My dad was a machinist, and I'd, I've seen him accidentally like sheer steel off with his hands. He's just crazy strong, right? My dad could have ended us right there. But we were pinning him, and we're laughing. He's throwing us over his shoulder, right? And that's what I kind of get from this idea. We loved my dad, and we knew he loved us. But we also know he could whoop us. No problem. He could take us down. Our Father's in heaven. He sees all of eternity laid out in front of him. He knows where this is all going. He sees the end of the story. He is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing. That's who God is. So don't forget, your Father's in heaven. He's got that kind of authority with him. Jesus continues and says, hallowed be your name. And I know that's a word you all throw out in casual conversation every day, right? Hallowed. What does hallowed mean? We, we don't use that, right? Hallowed is talking about revering. God, your name is worthy of reverence and honor. Your very name is. You are worthy of all the glory and honor. We sang a lot about that this morning, right? You alone are worthy, God, because you're the almighty creator of the universe. You're the one who loves us and calls us to yourself. Your name is holy and worthy of reverence. Does that make sense? Next line here says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom? Your kingdom, God. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Notice, Jesus hasn't asked God for a lot of stuff here. Right? This idea, I've always had this in my mind, of the cosmic gumball machine. This is my brain. Welcome. It's kind of scary. You take a quarter, your prayer, you pop it in the slot, you turn the handle, and bam, out pops a blessing, right? Like, that's the prayer model I had in my, as a kid that some of it was hard to shake, right? Jesus hasn't done any of that yet, but now he starts asking God for something. What is it that your kingdom would come? God, that your will, your plan would be enacted on earth, just like it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no sin, there's no brokenness. It is peaceful. It's exactly what God intended for everything to be. Way back in Scripture at the very beginning was this Garden of Eden. That's what it's like there. There's nothing wrong and nothing broken about it. Yeah, I want that here. 
I want that here where I walk, where I work, where I play, and I want you to use me as a conduit to create that. Please, God, do that. Notice that's not a, that's, that is not a self-centered or, or selfish request of God, right? God, I want your kingdom here. Next thing he says is, give us today our daily bread. So he's starting to ask, a little bit more personally, our daily bread. He didn't say, God, give us today our 401k, right? That's not what Jesus asked for. He's like, don't give me a thousand years worth of provision here. No, God, you know what? I'm actually pretty satisfied with just today's provision. Why? Because 401ks can go away. We've watched it in recent years, right? Where uh, finances are not as stable as we think they might be. Stock markets can crash. Housing markets can implode, right? There's no security in all those things. But what if we had someone who had all the resources in the world at his disposal, who cared so much about us, who said, yeah, I'll take care of you every day. Well, here's the good news, that what if is a reality in Christ. That's who God is. It's like, God, just give me my daily bread. I'm satisfied with that. Not a mansion, not a yacht. Give me my daily bread. That's enough. He continues to say, and forgive us our debts. Some of your translations say trespasses or sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's this reality that God is the only one who can forgive. And Jesus is saying, Father, please forgive us our, our sins. But it's predicated on this idea that I also forgive those who sin against me. I'm a person of forgiveness. And because of that, I can expect God's forgiveness. In, in a couple verses, I don't have it on the screen, but you can look at it in your Bible, verses 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that's kind of in my face, right? Like, thanks, Jesus. I cannot expect forgiveness from God if I cannot forgive other people, and I will not forgive other people. That's challenging, right? But one, one way I try to put it in perspective, someone might do something horrible to me, but if I think about the number of times I've betrayed God, I've rebelled against him. I've done what he's asked me not to do. It, what other people have done to me pales in comparison to that. What God is forgiving me is huge. What I'm forgiving other people for, even if it seems big, it's really not that big in the grand scheme of things. Forgive me my debts, God, as I forgive those who have debts against me. And the last thing he asks here is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God there's an enemy of my soul out there who wants nothing more than to destroy your work in my life. He wants to take your kingdom in heaven and keep it in heaven. And he wants to continue to wreck everything around me. Protect me. Save me from him so that I can continue to follow you. Notice these requests. Okay, God, food would be nice, right? Just daily food. <clears throat> Please forgive me and keep me safe from the enemy. That's pretty basic. That's, there's not a lot of complexity to that. Jesus shows us a different way of praying. So what I want to do today is unpack this a little bit. You have on around you a little uh, a sheet. It's white with a green banner on the top. If it says fasting, flip it over and it'll magically turn into prayer. That's a resource for you. I'm not going to talk about everything on there, but I want you to take it home and start to use it and apply it in your prayer life. On it, I have an acronym. This is the series of acronyms. Richie talked about FAST, F-A-S-T, last week. This week, it's ACTS, A-C-T-S. And what this does is it helps me remember not just to spend all my time asking God for stuff, right? A stands for adoration. God is incredible. The more I, 
I learn about him, the more I come to know him, the more I'm stunned by how amazing my God is. Tell him. <laughs> I can spend time actually telling him, God, I think you're incredible. By the way, this will help your marriage too if you learn this for your spouse. Just word to the wise, right? Adoration. Adore God. Second is the C is confession. Confess my sins to God. Absolutely. You see Jesus even modeling that here. But also I'm confessing my lowness, my weakness, and God's strength. God is so much bigger and stronger than I am, and I'm so dependent on him. Confession is powerful. The T is thanksgiving. Even when life is rough, I still have thousands of things to thank God for. Even if one part of my body is failing me right now, I have hundreds of other parts that are working. In fact, the fact it's failing has showed me, oh, wow, I take a lot for granted. God has given us so much to be thankful for. Let's spend some time in prayer thanking God for who he is and what he's done. And then S is a really fancy $2 word for asking God for things, supplication. Finally, we're talking about asking God, supplication. And remember, Jesus showed us a different way of asking God for things. It's not filtered through my preferences. It's filtered through God's kingdom lens, okay? So what I want to do is kind of crack open this prayer a little bit and show you some of the attitudes that Jesus should pray with. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to point out is Jesus, he invites us to humble yourself. Humble yourself. And that's probably not what you're hoping you'd hear this morning, right? I know humility is a popular topic, but it is a really powerful one. Think about some of the things Jesus said. God, you're in heaven and I am not. You are God, I'm not. If I can keep that in perspective, it can revolutionize my prayer life. I'm approaching you not with a sense of entitlement, but with a sense of awe and wonder about who my God is. Think about those kids in the grocery store. You probably have had these moments where someone's just melting down in the candy aisle because he can't have a Snickers, right, or something like that. It happens, and think about that. Do you think that parent in that moment was like, what a little angel, I am so excited to give you a Snickers right now, right? No, not at all, right? Think about your prayers. How many times have you had a similar response to your Heavenly Father, right? God loves you. He cares about you, but I'm not going to approach his throne, the throne of the Almighty God, with a sense of entitlement. God, I'm humbling myself before you. Think about that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my kingdom come, my will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, What's your kingdom? Well, kind of our common American dream is about, hey, you live a good life, you make good money, you get a good house, a great family, so that you can retire and you can die with a lot of good things, right? That's kind of our, our kingdom building in America dream. I was thinking, just thinking about, if you like the movie Tangled, um, there's a moment, they're in a saloon, and uh, they're talking about their dreams, right? And one of the gnarly guys is like, Go and follow your dream. And Flynn Rider's like, I will. He's like, not you. Your dream stinks. Her dream, right? Like, that's what I'm thinking about here. Your kingdom come, God's kingdom, his dream and plan, so much better than mine. Because here's God's plan. He said, you know what? I see how badly you broke everything. <laughs> your life, your relationships with others, your relationship with me, the world, like everything's broken because of humanity. And I made such a nice place, like... <laughs> You had five seconds, and that's what you did with it. But I love you, and I see you in your brokenness, and instead of being angry with you and vengeful, I'm going to come down from heaven, and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to come and live the kind of life you couldn't live 
in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to die on a Roman cross for your sins and in one act break the power of sin and death forever because I love you. And then you are going to become my partners in reaching the world for me. You're going to become my partners in telling people about the good God who loved them and bringing hope and peace to their life again. That's God's kingdom, which makes my kingdom look small and pathetic, right? God's kingdom is so much bigger, and that's what he's inviting us into. Humble yourself and let God, his kingdom, thrive in your life. Okay? You tracking with me? Humble yourself. Second thing that I see Jesus showing here is pray alone and with others. Pray alone and with others. And you see the alone part in here where he's talking about your closet, right? When you pray, go into your closet, close the door, and then just talk to God. And he says, God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And some of you, have you ever heard of a prayer closet before or seen someone or, or built one of your own, maybe a, a space in your house? That's awesome. It's not exactly what Jesus was talking about, but that's the concept. Um, I want to show you a picture of a prayer closet. And so this is a Jewish guy, and he's in his prayer closet. So see that shawl, that cloak he's got over his head? It's called a talit. Say talit. T-A-L-L-I-T, talit. His talit is this prayer shawl that every Jewish man would wear kind of over their shoulders, and it had tassels on the corner. And when they were in a public place and they wanted to pray and just put their focus on God, they would take their talit and pull it over their head and close the door. And that sounds really weird to us, but that's how they talked about it. It's their prayer closet. So he says, go in your prayer closet. You don't have to have some special room in your house. You can do it at any time. Just focus your attention on God. Tune out the distractions around you and talk to him. Okay? So pray, absolutely pray alone. There are powerful things God can do. But it's not just about praying alone. At the beginning of this passage, chapter 6, you'll see that there's a context for all of this. It's saying, okay, when you give, don't do it publicly. Do it in secret so your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, go into your closet. When you fast, don't disfigure your face, right? It's like, okay, hide everything you're doing. But at the beginning of chapter 6, if you want to go and look at it, Jesus is going to say, be careful not to do your righteous acts in front of people to be seen by them. If you do, that's all you'll get. That's all your reward. The context here is if your motivation is to show off and to get people to look at you and say you're super spiritual, it's like in that case, it's better that everything's hidden. Just do it secretly, and that way you don't get the surge of pride. But if you look back earlier in this sermon in chapter 5, Jesus is going to say, let your righteous acts, your light, shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and they can glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is not saying is never, ever pray with people in front of people. Never, ever let people know you're fasting or you're doing these things. If you can take that moment and you can give all the glory and credit to God, do it. That's going to make God's kingdom move forward. But if you can't, it's all about accolades, hide it. Don't show anyone because you're ruining everything if that's what you're doing, right? You're not the center of attention. What's the first word? Thinking about the prayer Jesus just showed it. What's the first word he says? Our, our Father in heaven, telling you just to pray alone? No, it's this invitation for us. We are going to pray that our Father in heaven is, may his name be hallowed, right? This, so this prayer is actually one that Jesus didn't make up. I don't know if you knew that or not. It, it seems like it because it's in our scripture like that. 
But Jesus is bringing up a prayer that was actually commonly prayed in his day. It's called the Amida prayer, A-M-I-D-A, Amida. The Amida prayer was something that would happen every day in Jewish culture in Jerusalem. So every day at noon in the temple courts, people from all over Jerusalem would gather, Jewish people, and they would pray a prayer very similar to this. We've actually found several variations of it. And Jesus uses elements from all of them and actually adds one line of his own about as we forgive those who trespass against us. But it was something they would pray, and the rule was you could only pray it if you got a group of 20 people together. So you'd have these groups of 20, and a lot of people did it multiple times because then there'd be like 15 people over here and like, hey, I know you just prayed it. Can you come pray with us? That was the, the, the culture that they had with it. This prayer he's giving us is a communal prayer. It's something that was designed for that. When we pray with each other, God does absolutely miraculous things. God will move, he will speak, and he will stretch out his hand and do miracles. I I love Acts chapter 4. The apostles have just been taken in for questioning. It was a little dodgy. They might have even lost their lives in that moment. But they're released fairly scot-free, and they go back, and the believers gather together, and they pray. It's this incredibly powerful prayer. And what they're asking God is, fill us, your servants, with boldness so that we can preach your word without hindrance and stretch out your hand to do miraculous signs and wonders. And what happens is as soon as they finish praying, this group of passionate believers, the ground is shaken where they're staying. And if you read the next stories, they go out with boldness and preach the gospel and tons of people come to know Jesus and God does miraculous work through them. When God's people come together and pray and are aligned with his kingdom and his mission, God shakes the foundation of the world as we know it. So pray alone, yes, as much as you can, but also pray with each other. We need each other in this mission. Okay? Good so far? Pray alone, pray with others. The third thing that I see Jesus showing is pray scripture. Pray scripture. Believe it or not, you can do the research if you want to, every single line from this is something Jesus robbed directly from scripture right? He's so good at it. And as an example, one of the things he says, it's interesting, give us today our daily bread, our daily bread. Way back in the Old Testament, toward the beginning of God's story in the Bible, there's a book called Exodus. And God rescues his people Israel from oppression and slavery in Egypt. And he pulls them out of that, splits a sea open like a banana, sends them right through, and then they're in the desert for 40 years, And if you read the numbers, there's probably over 2 million Israelites at this time. 2 million Israelites, 40 years in the desert, they didn't bring enough sack lunches, right? They're not provided for. How are they going to find food? What God says is, oh, that's small potatoes for me. No worries. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cause crackers, basically, to form on the ground around the camp as far as the eye can see. And they named it manna, which means, what is that, right? unique. I'm going to provide you with this, but here's the rule. You can only gather enough for one day. Only one day. And some people, of course, are like, no, I'm stocking up for the week, right? Like, Y2K is coming, for those of you who remember that, right? We're going to fill our pantries. And by evening, it was moldy and worms and gross. And God got mad at him. He's like, I told you, only one day. You can only have enough for one day. But sure enough, for 40 years, until they crossed the Jordan River into the land that God promised them, Manna around. Jesus says, God, give us today our daily bread. Just daily. That's all I need. I don't need tons of provision because I know every day you're going to give me exactly what I need. 
and if you read on in chapter 6, Jesus is going to highlight that the key to this is seek first Jesus' kingdom. And he's going to take care of all of your basic needs. He promises that he'll do it. So when he says, give us today our daily bread, it's rooted in scripture. He says, I've seen you do this before, God, and I know you can and will do it again for your people. Other things that are powerful about rooting prayer in scripture is we can pray the promises of God back to him. God, you promised that you would do this, and I'm believing that because you're faithful and true, you're going to activate that in my life. You're going to do that just like you said you would. It also reinforces God's will and his kingdom happening. It's such a powerful thing. And for some of you, you're like, I don't really know scripture though. Good news, we're going to talk about it next week. But what I'd say is just start. You could start with Matthew. What a great book. And early on, I developed a discipline of this, of praying what I'm reading back to God. As I'm reading it, I'm praying it to him and I'm allowing him to speak through it. And it's a really powerful practice because then I'm engaging with God's word and it gives him the opportunity to speak back to me. Does that make sense? So praying scripture is such a powerful way to do things and we see Jesus doing it and the church doing it as well. God loves to be reminded of his promises and his goodness. So what I want to do here real quick is we're going to get a little bit active. I know you didn't think you were going to be participants today, but you get to, okay? We're going to try this. We're actually going to spend a moment in prayer, just a minute or two. What I'd love for you to do is find some people around you, and I'd encourage you, especially some people you don't know. Some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this. This is the time. And some of you just remembered you left something in the car, right? It's okay. It's going to be okay. God's going to do Some of you are like, I can't pray in front of people. I'm going to pray that God puts you with someone who is a prayer warrior, right? Who will just run with it. But find a couple people around you and spend some time praying. And here's what I want you to pray. Number one, that God's presence would fall on this church in a powerful way. In your hearts, in your lives, that God's presence would be felt and that you would have a hunger and passion for it. And number two, that God's kingdom would come crashing to earth here in Spokane through us, his servants. Does that sound good? Okay. So one, two, three, go. Go.